Scripture from Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under feet, under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, we are looking at the Sermon on the Mount, and we did an, an intro sermon kind of talking about how the sermon works in general, and then last week looked at the Beatitudes, and then this passage clearly goes with the Beatitudes, kind of a conclusion to the Beatitudes. And, and I said last week that the Beatitudes are about flourishing, about having the good life, and what it means to have a good life, not just now, but also blessings in the future. So they're sort of markers of a person who's living a Jesus kind of life. And so to conclude that little piece of teaching, Jesus talks about these two images of salt and of light, and and they're great metaphors. So let's jump into them. I mean, imagine living in a world without refrigeration. I mean, refrigerators are such a big deal for the world that we live in. And even before refrigerators, people had ice boxes. You you could get ice delivered. You could put things on ice. But in the ancient world, that really wasn't an option, not in the desert. So you can imagine if you you caught fish or you slaughtered an animal, how long would that animal stay? No, you needed salt. You needed salt for lots of reasons. and uh, Israel is blessed with this great place, this great source of salt called the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is, uh, is uh, the, the end of the Jordan River that flows from uh, up in the mountains through the Sea of Galilee and then down to the Dead Sea. By the time it gets to the Dead Sea, uh, the, the salt in the oceans is maybe 3 to 5%. Um, but uh, in the Dead Sea, it's well over 30% salt. So nothing lives there. Uh, I've been in the Dead Sea, and you actually can't sink. You're buoyant because the water is so heavy. It's almost like slimy on your skin. It's just a strange feeling. Um, but but the, all the salt and all the minerals in that water build up, and if the water evaporates, salt is exposed. And, and when we think of salt, we think of small granules of salt, but, but here is a big piece of uh, salt. This is Himalayan salt. Um, the Dead Sea salt is not normally pink like this. And the Dead Sea salt comes in a lot sort of smaller crystals that are then combined into big chunks. But you got to think about having a big chunk like this in your house. And when you needed salt, you would hit it, you'd scrape it to get pieces of it off. And, and salt like this could be mined, uh, it could be taken um, from the Dead Sea and was shipped all over Israel, especially to the area around the Sea of Galilee, where uh, they had fish, and uh, the city of Magdala, where uh, they were known for their salty fish. And Jesus is right there. He's he's on the side of the Sea of Galilee. The traditional site is uh, a mount called the Mount of Beatitudes, and there uh, Jesus is teaching. 
And he says, you are uh, the salt of the earth. And, and he's right near the town of Capernaum. Uh, he can see a mountain where at the base nearby is Magdala, uh, where Mary Magdalene is from. That was known in those days for their salty fish. And uh, when he says salt, everybody's familiar with salt. But, but salt, ha- salt had multiple purposes. It was used first in cleaning and, and as a preservative. It was used to, to keep fish that were caught overnight until someone would buy them. Um, it was used as a cleaning agent. And, and because of this idea of preservation and cleanliness, it was then used in liturgy. It was part of Israel's worship. Um, maybe for cleanliness, maybe for liturgy, but, but newborn children were, were wiped down with salt. Um, the offerings in the temple were filled with salt so that they would be preserved, so that they would burn longer. And um, the, the covenant is talked about as the salt of the covenant, um, the salt of God's relationship with Israel that, that was long-lasting, that it was preserved, that it would continue there were everyday uses, too, of salt. Uh, for instance, they used to mix salt with manure, and they would let it dry, and then they would burn that manure, and because of the salt, it would burn hotter, and it would burn uh, longer. Salt was used in war, too. If you wanted to destroy a city, you just would spread salt among their field, and the field would be no good. And so salt's also sometimes an image of judgment. We might think of, of Lot's wife, who, who the story says turned into a pillar of salt. But by far the most important part of salt was in, in culinary use. It was taste. You can imagine if a fish got caught two days ago and it was in the house or you had meat that's been around for a couple of days since you slaughtered the lamb. Not only was the salt important for keeping those things But the salt was very important for taste. And in fact, in dry climates, salt really does have an impact on your body uh, for the the water, the retention of water. That's why so many people who have heart trouble uh, have to be, uh, have to watch their salt intake um, because salt regulates that in your body. And in a dry climate like Israel, it's really, really important. And that's clearly the part of the salt image that Jesus is most emphasizing here that you are the salt of the earth. You're the flavor. You make the world tasty. That that living a Jesus kind of life, like the Beatitudes lays out, Jesus living is like Jesus seasoning in this world, and that you and I are meant to be that seasoning. We're meant to bring some taste, some flavor. What kind of flavor are you bringing to the people around you, to the world around you. Then Jesus says this thing about how if a salt if salt loses its saltiness, what's it good for? Well, salt can't lose its saltiness. Okay, it's either salt or it's not. And, and in these uh, minerals that would build up in the Dead Sea, a lot of it would be salt, but some of it wouldn't be. And so if you got to a section that wasn't very salty, guess what? It wasn't really salt. And it's good for nothing. You just throw it out because once salt loses its saltiness, you can't do anything with it. And, um, but really, if it's not salt to begin with, there's no point in keeping it. And Jesus is saying, you know, how salty are you? Are there parts of your life that uh, you've not fully given to me? And so he says, you are the salt of the earth. And, but the, the word earth there probably means land 
probably talking about the Holy Land. You are the salt, really, among the Jewish people, the chosen, the religious. But then he, he goes, you are the light of the world. And clearly, both in English and in Greek, these phrases line up uh, syllable for syllable. I mean, they, they are very much in par- parallel. And so he, he's continuing to teach and saying, you're the, you're the salt of the earth and you're the light of the world. Imagine living in a world without electricity. I mean, many of us have not really experienced darkness in our whole lives. I remember one time I went uh, with my family on one of these cave tours. You, know, you pay and you go down through all these caves. And at one point, they turned the lights out and showed you what real darkness was like. And it was kind of scary to go like this and not be able to see your hand. But in Jesus' day, they, they knew what darkness was, and they knew how powerful light was. So it shouldn't be surprising that it's a major biblical motif, right? That God creates the light, that God leads at night as a pillar of fire before Israel, that there's candles in the temple to mark God's presence there. I mean, light is such a primal image. Most of, almost every kid has gotten scared at night, and what do they want? Turn a light on, a night light. In cartoons, when uh, somebody has a bright idea, right? They we call it a bright idea, and what would show up in a cloud over their head, a light bulb. So, so light is this imagery of of of, of presence and of hope and of warmth and of security. So it shouldn't be any surprise that in the Bible, and particularly the book of Isaiah, uh, God is described as light. Israel is described as light. Uh, the, the Jewish people, uh, the land, the, the temple, the law, all these things. And interestingly enough, in Isaiah, who also talks about salt, talks about the Messiah as the light coming into the world. And clearly John is seeing that when he picks up on uh, this light that comes into the darkness that is Jesus. But Jesus isn't saying that the law is the light or that I am the light. He says that other places. He's not saying the temple is the light. What is he saying? You're the light. You are the light of the world, shining in this world. And, and then he gives two uh, uh, kind of further metaphors, two examples of light to sort of dig down into what that light means. The first, he says, you are a city on a hill that can't be hidden. Well, from where he is on the Mount of Beatitudes in the north of the Sea of Galilee, there's, there's two cities that are prominently on hills. One is the city of Hippos, which was part of the Decapolis, that the, the just means ten cities. It's one of the big Roman cities in the region. And it sits up on a hill as a testimony to uh, all that Rome meant. But also near Magdala is this town, is this hill called uh, Mount Arbel. And uh, Mount Arbel was this uh, uh, sheer cliff you can see from anywhere on the Sea of Galilee. And there was a, a Jewish town on that. So, so whichever town he means, his imagery is clear. You are the light. You're, you can't hide. People are watching you like one of these cities on a hill. And then Jesus says, uses the, the further image, the, takes the light a step further to talk about a lamp. When I was in Israel um, this year, uh, I got this at an antique shop. Okay? And uh, a, a reputable Christian licensed antique dealer. And uh, this is supposed to be from the first century. 
Um, you can see it's very small, very small lamp. Actually comes from the first century. Um, and, and these sort of changed in styles, and, and some are fancier than others. And, and uh, so they're very important for archaeology because you can do a lot to date them. And also because they changed in style, people would get rid of them. And they would put them into uh, to fill when they would rebuild something. A lot of times they would just fill the dirt and build on top. And so there are a lot of examples of, of complete uh, lamps and pieces of pottery. And you can see it would just hold a little bit of oil. There'd be a, a wick that would come out. You can still see burn marks there. And that wick would be lit. And, and even though it was small, the size is normally uh, kind of related to the size of the house. You would have a small enough... You'd have a lamp that was big enough to hold enough oil that the lamp would stay lit until morning. I mean, think about that's it's not a lot of light, you know, just this little wick, this little candle. It's like a tea light. That's why the Psalms talks about God's word is a lamp to my feet to a, and a light into my path. It, it's just a little bit of light, like right in front of me. But But homes in those days were very small. One room home's not much bigger than the room I'm in now. So, so this little light, if it was set out, if it was put on a lampstand, it would shine enough light for the whole room to have light all through the darkness. But if you covered it, it'd be worthless. Covered lamp is worth nothing. And Jesus says, you are the light. You are the lamp. You are shining. You're on a stand. You're on a hill. So the message today is not that you should live a, a, a exemplary kind of life. And, and what should that life be? No, the message today is whatever kind of life you're living, people are watching you. People are watching you. And in, in, in this week, when the world tastes so angry and bitter and fearful and divisive, this world doesn't this this world doesn't taste good this week. In a world that seems so dark, with yet another uh, racist base uh, killing by a police officer, with so much division in our country and in our world right now. Man, we need light. Man, we need some flavor. We need some shining out there. People are watching you. Christians, people are watching you. They're watching what you're posting on Facebook, and they're watching how you're talking to your neighbor, and they're watching how you respond to all this COVID-19 stuff. And I'm not here today to tell you how you should respond to that or how you should. I'm just saying, you're the light. You're the salt. We need Jesus seasoning in this world. We need Jesus flavor. We need Jesus light, Jesus colors. And it's up to you and I to do that. Jesus gives us that responsibility of carrying on his light, of carrying on his seasoning into this world. And what an amazing opportunity that is if we don't cover it, if we don't hide it, if we take seriously the understanding that we are the salt, that we are the light, and that we are pointing back to Jesus, the ultimate salt and the ultimate light, you're being watched. 
So shine. So give a good flavor. Let me pray. Lord, let us, in this difficult world that we live in, be faithful to you. Let us be salt. Let us be light. Let us be a good taste. Let us shine brightly. And through our lives, may everyone taste and see that Jesus is good. Amen.